Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You have your Bibles, Bible app, or the church app, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 is our text today. If you're there, say amen. Again, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 uh, is our text. Now, if you've been with us from the very beginning of this stewardship series, uh, it's all his, say it's all his. You'll remember that the first message of this series was foundational. And we focus first on ownership, say ownership. That God is the owner of everything, that everything, say everything, belongs to him. So we have to establish this first, that everything belongs to God. He's the owner of everything. And then we focused on stewardship, say stewardship. And remember, unless we understand God's absolute ownership and see our relationship to him as owner, we cannot approach nor understand the subject of biblical stewardship. By the way, what's the definition of stewardship? Well, let's make this personal. Let's say it's a practice. Come on together. It's a practice of managing properly all that God has what? Entrusted to me. Now, I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, because this is... A key verse in this series. And it says this, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, say trust, come on, say trust, must prove faithful. The, the word trust there encompasses all the resources and abilities and opportunities given to us by God and that we manage, say manage, those resources, abilities, and opportunities in a way that is spiritually wise and also profitable. So though God owns you, and he does, right? Though, oh, though God owns you and all you possess, I love this, he defers the management to you. I love that. He's so gracious. So you are a steward, you are a trustee, you are an agent, you are a manager. You're not the master. You're the manager. And then in part two of this series, which we broke up into two parts, was on our treasures, say treasures, uh, giving, money, tithing, and our finances. This now brings us to today's message. Is, and my title is, Now is the Time. Everyone say that. Did you know that the most two commonly asked questions on any given day, friends, are how are you and what time? What time is it? And, and time, say time. Time is woven into the fabric of our conversations every single day, such as what time is it? And what time does the meeting start? How much time will it take? Don't, don't waste your time. It's, it's time to go. It's uh, time that you and I have had a talk. Uh, what time is dinner? Amen to that, right? Uh, I don't have the time. Take your time. and uh, It's time for you to go now. Uh, time out. Uh, prime time. Have time. Uh, now is the time. Overtime, okay? Say time again. Time is our most precious commodity. It's not money. You, know, you can get more money. Uh, you, you could do it by begging, stealing for it, borrowing it. You can make more money, but you can't get more money. And one thing, friends, that we all have in common is we all have equal time. Say equal time. We have eight, 86,400 seconds, 1,440 minutes, 24 hours each day, 168 hours a week, no more, no less, available to us. But whatever we don't use, whatever we don't use is canceled. We lose it, and we can't get it back. Lloyd Corey said this, Time is significant because it is so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it or relive it. There's no such thing as a literal instant replay that appears only on film. 
And William Penn said this, time is what we want the most, but what we use the worst. He goes on to say, here's a question. If you had to pay $100 in advance for every hour of your life, do you think you would spend your time differently? Would you waste your life? Would you stop killing time and start filling it? Nothing is as far away as one minute ago. So the real issue, friends, is not whether you have time. The real issue is what are you doing with your time? How are you spending your time? Are you wasting your time or are you investing your time? And I want to tell you, it's your responsibility how you use, how you manage your time. In fact, it's your spiritual responsibility. And you see, the way you use your time, got to get this now, the way you use your time reveals your values and your priorities. And that being said, what are you doing with it? How are you managing the most precious commodity that God has given you? I want you to write this down, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 11a. Solomon writes, there is a time for everything in the season, for every activity under heaven. In verse 11a, says he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Now before we get into the text today, I want to point out three important things about time. It's there in your outline. First of all, fill in the blank. God created time. Say that. And then write Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, because their time began at creation, morning and evening. And ever since, we've been living by that framework. So God created time. The next point is this. God is the ruler of time. Say that. He's the ruler of time, okay? And since he created time, guess what? He owns it. He's ruler over it. He's in charge of it, and he's not bound by it. Therefore, he can do anything he wants with it. God is the ruler of time. In Joshua chapter 10, write it down, verses 13 through 14, it says that God made the sun stand still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged itself on its enemies. And when God, you know this, right? When God sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, it wasn't premature. He sent them at the right, say right, say right time. And that's in Galatians 4, 4. I don't have time to read that to you. God also appointed time for judgment. Acts 17, remember Acts? We were in that for a whole, what, over a year and a half. Acts 17, 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. He also, friends, listen now, brought you to birth at a certain time. And he knows, listen now, the exact time that you will die. That I will die. So God created time. God is the ruler of time. And their time is a gift from God. Say that. And how you treat the gift of time will ultimately, got to get this, will ultimately determine whether you enjoy your life or endure your life. Ecclesiastes 11.8a, write that down, I'll read it to you. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. The good news renders it like this. Be grateful, say grateful, for every year you live. Every second, every minute, friends, every hour, day, week, every month, every year is the gift from God. So are you grateful for that? I mean, are you really grateful for that gift? Time is a gift from God. He deposits seconds, minutes, hours into your life. And if you don't use them, guess what? You lose them. There are no, there are no rollover minutes. Time is a gift from God, so treat it like a gift. And since it's a gift from God, God will hold you accountable of how you used your time, how well you stewarded your 
time. I want to share three points with you from the text today. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Number one is our walk. Say that. Write that down. Say our walk. First sub point is activity. Our walk for sub point is activity. Write that down. Say activity. And look at verse, verse 15a, the first part of verse 15. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. The King James renders it like this. Walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. Good word. Good word. In the Greek, the word circumspectly is akribos. It means exactly, accurately, diligently, carefully. And what it does, friends, it gives the idea, the idea of precision and accuracy. And what Paul is saying is see to it that you walk carefully, get this now, carefully with exactness. Exactness. In other words, there's, there's focus as you're walking. There's direction as you're walking. In fact, the Phillips translation says it or renders it like this. Live life then with a due sense of responsibility. Did you get that? And you see the opposite of that is to walk carelessly and, and aimlessly and drifting here and there without thought. And so walking and living and behaving with a due sense of responsibility is placing your steps accurately. And precisely, especially in this dark, evil world that we live in. I want, I want to just real quickly here give you two things real quick that we need to know and understand is that we need to do an, an honest assessment, an honest assessment on how we walk, how we live. Got it? Do an honest assessment on how we walk, how we live. Now go back to chapter, chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 1. And Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then or therefore, indicating, listen now, the transition from knowing the truth to now living out the truth in your life. And so he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy or walk in a manner worthy, get this now, of the calling you have received. And this has the idea of living a life in such a way that it measures up to something. In the Greek, the word worthy is axios, speaks of weight or scales. It means balance the scales or measure to a standard. In other words, let your life, listen now, let your life, let your walk weigh as much as the calling you have received. Well, what's that calling? Well, if you're saved, that calling is salvation. So our lives and our walk ought to measure up. In other words, be consistent with our calling. Now listen, if salvation in Jesus has not affected your lifestyle, friends, then you have a low value of your salvation. Are you guys with me? Your life then is not measuring up to the standard that God requires. And what Paul is simply saying is don't have a wimpy walk, have a worthy walk. Walk, listen now, a walk, a life that's consistent with your calling. In other words, conduct yourself in a manner that measures up, love that, measures up to the value of your salvation. In other words, listen now, in other words, hey, if you're saved, if you are, then act like it. You can tell a lot about a person inwardly by the way they walk and live outwardly. Yeah? The kind of fruit they display outwardly because fruit don't lie. Fruit don't lie. Now, if you're saved, say amen. amen. Question. 
does your lifestyle betray what you say you are? Your view of salvation, listen now, should mean everything to you. Everything to you. And it should dictate the way that you live. It should dictate the way that you walk. So we need to do an honest assessment of, on how we walk, how we live. The next thing is this. We need to do an honest assessment on the things that occupy our lives. An honest assessment on the things that occupy our, our lives. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to challenge every one of you to write down how much time, listen now, how much time you spend on your iPhone, Snapchat, Instagram, Internet, Facebook, playing video games, watching TV, shopping, sleeping, eating. Listen, we are overwhelmed with videos because of YouTube, with music because of iTunes, and TV because of Netflix. And you'll be surprised how much time you could be wasting. Now, I want you to hear my heart. I, I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm not saying those things, I'm not saying that, okay? But you must limit to how much time you spend doing those things. And you've heard me say this hundreds of times. A good thing could become a bad thing if it keeps you from the right thing. So we need to live circumspectly, accurately, diligently, carefully with focus and direction how we're walking, how we're living, how we're spending our time. That's activity. The next up point is attention. Write it down, say attention. Write that down, look at verse 15b. Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as what? Unwise, but as wise. So what is wisdom? Well, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. It means knowledge and the ability to make the right choices. And I want you to follow me here. Wisdom is the correct and appropriate application of knowledge. It's knowledge applied. In other words, it's putting knowledge, what you know, into practice. Now, if you're safe, say amen. If you say amen, we are admonished to be wise or apply the knowledge of God correctly and appropriately in our lives. Write this down, Proverbs 9, 10. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The what? Fear, reverence, fear, reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fearing God, reverencing God is recognizing and believing and obeying Him. It is also, listen now, being concerned about what does God think? What does God think? When it comes to my life, what I do, the people that I associate with, the things that I watch, my thought life, my ways, friends, my decisions, what does he think? What does he say about it? And you see, friends, we need to approach life from the perspective of what does God say? And what does God think? Not what culture says, not what culture thinks. And by the way, just because the world turns a certain way doesn't mean that the word of God changes that way. So where can you find out what God says and thinks? Well, his word. That's why it's important for you and I to be in his word. His word, right? Yes. David prayed in Psalm 86, 11. He prayed this, teach me your way, O Lord. I love this. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So the person who fears God, listen now, walks in wisdom. 
And they walk in wisdom because they walk according to the word of, of God. Amen? Now, again, if you're saved, say amen. As you're thinking of your life, and I want you to think about that. As you're thinking of your life, not just the life, your life in the church, but your life at home, at work, friends, your relationships, the crowd that you, that you hang out with, your social life. Understand, listen now, understand what it is God wants out of that situation. What does God say? What does God say? And what does God think? And Paul is simply saying, don't turn, or excuse me, don't run through this world living like an idiot. But pay attention, be wise, make the right choices, understand what God wants, and then just do it. Do it. Say our walk. Number two is our watch. Say that. Write that down to your alley and over. And then I want you to write the first sub-point is diligence. Our walk, first sub-point, diligence. Say diligence. And I want you to look at verse 16a with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Making the most of every opportunity. Now the King James renders it as redeeming the time. I love that. Redeeming the time. Now there are three ways the word time is used in the New Testament. And one word refers to hour. Another is chrono, which speaks of Time in general. But the third way is the word used here in the text, which means an appointed time. An appointed time, a fixed or special occasion. So I want you to follow me here. It refers to a period of opportunity that is open for a while, for a while, and then it closes. Now, now follow me here. It's not clock time, but kingdom time. Got it? Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Say, redeeming the time. Now, some of you have heard the phrase carpe diem, uh, which is Latin, which means seize the day. Well, instead of using this term, let's say carpe momento, which simply means seize the moment. And since our time on earth is limited, let's make the most of the time that you and I have left. Let's seize the moment. And by the way, in the, in, in the Greek, the word redeeming is ex agorazo. And ex means call out. Agorazo means marketplace. And so the Greeks would say, let's go to the agora, the marketplace. And so it means to buy out of the marketplace, to, to buy up, to ransom, to pay the price, to recover. Now, you might wonder how that applies to our lives today. How can we buy up time? How can we ransom our days? Well, it's simple. We just make the most of every day and of every opportunity that God gives us. Now, listen. We are not instructed to literally buy time. We can't do that. We cannot buy time. But make the most of the time that we are given by God. Okay? And you see, Paul is saying, he's saying, seize the opportunity and get the most profits out of them. Back to the text. Making the most of every opportunity. Say opportunity. Come on, say with, with great enthusiasm, opportunity. The word opportunity comes from the Latin, and it means toward the port. Toward the port. It means a ship taking advantage of the wind and tide to arrive safely in the harbor. That's what it means. Now, I want to remind you, he's not talking about clock time here. He's talking about what? Kingdom time, right? Uh, opportunity, kingdom opportunities. 
such as, for example, meeting someone's need. If you see someone has a need, meet that need. Seize a moment and meet that need. Touch someone's life. Pray for someone. Speak a word of hope or encouragement to someone. Share the gospel with someone. Those are kingdom opportunities that we need to seize the moment. And Paul is encouraging us to keep our lives uncluttered so that we can respond when the need arises because kingdom opportunities can get squeezed out of an over, overly, excuse me, overly tight schedule. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Buying up the opportunities. Say that. Buying up the opportunities. Let me ask you something. What opportunities do you see before your life? What opportunities do you see before you, your life, okay? And are you taking advantage of those opportunities? Now, I want to say this. The focus is, isn't on being busy just for the sake of being busy, okay? The idea is seeing the opportunities in front of your life, in front of you, and making them your own. And if you're saved, if you're saved, sealed, sanctified, heaven-bound, we need to recognize God-given opportunities, God-given appointments, and be diligent, be earnest, be persistent, friends, in seizing the moment, getting the most profits out of them, taking advantage of it, setting our sails and catching the wind. Living in the moment and seizing the opportunities before us. If you are saved, if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, we, if you have work to do, do it now. Do it now. If you have a witness to give, give it now. If you have a soul to win, win him or her now. If you have an obligation to discharge, discharge it now. If you have a debt to pay, Pay it now. If you have a wrong to write, write it now. If you have a confession to make, make it now. If you have a preparation to make, make it now. If you have, listen now, children to train, train them now. Now is the time, friends. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity that God has put in front of you. Because, listen, you cannot look at yesterday and pull it back and focusing on tomorrow will only mess up today. But today, say, but today, right now, right now, friends, you can do something with what you have. And friends, honestly, we need to keep our lives uncluttered so that we can respond when kingdom opportunities arise before us. And the truth is there, there could be some stuff in our lives, not bad stuff, but just stuff in our lives that's cluttering our lives in such a way that it prevents us from seeking God and serving God. And it keeps us from responding to kingdom opportunities. And if we allow those opportunities to pass us by, we may never get them back. I want you to write this down, Psalm 90, 12. Psalmist writes, teach us to number our days aright. I love that. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, our days aright, that we may gain, listen now, a heart of wisdom. To number means, in that text, to number means to weigh or measure our moments so that we live them for God's glory and for the good of others. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hands, your hand finds it, you do with all your might. I love that, all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. In Psalm 39, verses 4 through 5, says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and number 
and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. In the span of my years, as nothing is as nothing before you, everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Billy Graham, the late great Billy Graham, once was asked what he was most surprised by in life. His answer was, it's brevity. Adoniram, the missionary Adoniram Judson wrote, a life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. The same may be said of each day. When it is once passed, it is gone forever. Listen, friends, it's too late to redeem the time that has passed, but not the time that is passing. So let's not just mark time. Let's not just mark time, but use the time we have left to make a mark for the kingdom of God. Someone once said, all in this life will one day pass. Only that which is done for Jesus is sure to last. Love that. Next was discernment. Say discernment. We have diligence. Now we have discernment. Write that down. Look at verse 16b with me. Because, Paul says, the days are evil. So, so what's the sense, friends, of urgency in all of this? Why do we need to, to labor right now? Why do we need to redeem the time? Well, because Paul says what? The days are what? They're evil. And this refers to the evil that we face on a daily basis. Okay, we must, in other words, be discerning. Be discerning, aware, and alert to the snares and temptations that come our way. Now listen, even in the midst of evil, and I want you to get this, there are always opportunities. Yeah? Always opportunities, friends. Every day is an opportunity to do good, to do good, and to shun evil, to shun sin. Now, we could all agree that we are living in the presence of increasing evil. Yeah? In the presence of increasing evil. And, and you know, many, 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 many years ago, by the way, okay, we used to enjoy an atmosphere that respected and even promoted the Christian faith. But that day is long gone. It's no longer here. And we now live in a society, we now live in a culture that is, listen now, that is increasingly intolerant of our faith, of the Christian voice. In fact, many of our elected officials are weary of the conservative Christian. And they would like nothing more than to, listen now, than the church to be silent and all the Christian influence removed from our society. Friends, have, have you ever known a more difficult day than now to live for Jesus and be an effective witness? Huh? Has there been a more difficult season in our nation's history for our young people to identify with God and express their faith? We live in evil times. These days are evil. But guess what? We should expect that. Because the Bible is very clear and teaches us that in the last days, that wickedness will abound. So I want you to write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Huh? Yeah? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He says this, have nothing, say nothing, to do with such people. In a day and age like this, we need to redeem the time. We can't deny the fact that we live, that we are living in dark days. We are. It's a fact. We're living in dark days. And if there ever has been a generation, a time that needed to make the most of every opportunity, it's ours. It's now. If you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, friends, we need to wake up every morning with a desire, say desire, and determination, say determination, to fulfill the work of God. And might our light shine the brightest when it's darkest. And I want to say this. I got to say this, okay? Too many Christians, too many Christians are spiritual sluggards. And they're living sloppy lives instead of fighting sin and staying on the straight and narrow. Friends, listen now, okay? We need to be discerning. Discerning, this is now truth from error, right from wrong, good from evil. Discerning, because we live in evil times. Say our walk, say our watch. Number three is God's will. Write that down, God's will. Verse 17, if you're still with me, say amen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Therefore, do not be foolish, but what? Understand what the Lord's will is. Now, we need to understand that in Paul's day, as he's writing this in Paul's day, the believers at Ephesus were bombarded with all sorts of false doctrine and all sorts of idolatry. In fact, the temple to Diana was there. Also, the influence of the Roman culture was very prevalent in that day. And not to mention the Jews who sought to corrupt the gospel with the legalities and the rituals of the law, and they refused to accept a relationship with God. We know this right, based on grace alone apart from works of man. So what Paul was writing this wanted them to understand. He wanted them to understand the contrary influences in their culture and be wise concerning the will of God and God's plan for the church and God's plan for their individual lives. That being said, we are responsible, as believers, we are responsible, friends, this and now, okay, to understand what the will of God is. It is our obligation, say obligation, to obtain, this now, obtain that understanding, that understanding, and live by it. Look at the text again. Let's look at the text again. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand. Highlight that, circle that, say understand what the Lord's will is. The word there, understand, means to grasp, to perceive, to comprehend. That's what it means. Listen, all believers are responsible to grasp and to comprehend the will of God in their lives. And what this does, this suggests using our minds, our minds, got it? Say my mind. Our minds to discover what God's will is and then do it. Now, I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, if God gave you a mind, then he expects you to use it. 
This means that learning his will involves gathering facts, examining them, weighing them, and praying for his wisdom. God doesn't want us to simply know his will. He wants us to understand his will. God's will is available and it's understandable. And his will is found within his word. Okay, and if you want to be wise concerning God's will, then seek his will within his word. That's why we got to be in his word. And I got to honestly, friends, honestly, I think that sometimes we Christians make this a complicated thing. All you got to do is take the general principles of God's word and then apply them to your situation. God gave you his word, so read it. God gave you a mind, so use it. Right? Now write this down, Romans 12, 2. We know this, right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By the word of God. So let's read that again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once you renew your mind, then, then, say then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But you got to be in the word. We discover God's will as he transforms our minds. He trans Listen, this transformation is the result of getting in the word, digging in the word, meditating and praying and worshiping our amazing living God. You see, life is too short to do everything we want to do, but it's long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. So the bottom line is this, we have just enough time to do God's will. We just have enough time, it's enough time to do God's will. So, so, so what Paul is saying is don't be foolish, but understand what his will is. We are called to be stewards, managers of the time that God has so graciously given us. How are you doing with that? So what I want to do with the remainder of my message is I want to show you how to prioritize your time. Listen, how to mark out your course. Okay? It's very practical. If you're ready, say yes. Okay, here we go. Six things. Here we go. And it's, it begins with this. Holy moments. Say that. Holy moments. God has to be first. God has to be top of your list. The priority. He has to be number one. Holy moments is quiet time, spending time with God. It's, it's prayer, praying before the living God. It's, it's reading his word, studying his word. It's, it's worship. That's the priority. My time needs to be spent seeking the amazing living God. Holy moments, Mark 135, you guys know this, right? Very early in the morning, okay, while it was still dark, Jesus, say Jesus, got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If Jesus, who was perfect, spent time with the Father, how much more time should we spend with the Father who we are imperfect? Huh? Matthew 6.33, the first part, seek first the kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, not my kingdom, the kingdom of God. Yeah? So it begins with him. God has to be first. 
Spending my time with God. First thing. Next one is this, home life. Say that. Holy moments, then comes home life. This is family time. Family time. Doing things together. Listen, having dinner together. Sitting at the table and having dinner together. Because at the table is when you have the best conversations. Yeah? I'm amazed at families who just don't eat at the table anymore. One's in the room, one's watching TV. One's in the living room. One's in the kitchen. Sad. You, you want to have some, some wonderful quality time with your family? Sit around the table when you're eating. And my, I have, you know, my kids, they're all young adults now, but when we eat dinner, we eat at the table. When we go at a restaurant or wherever it might be, we eat together at a table. Awesome conversations. And my family loves to talk a lot. So awesome conversations. But we need to spend time as a family. Take a vacation together as a family. Go and do something together. Watch a movie. Build a puzzle. I don't know. What's your thing? I don't know. Take time to laugh together. But it's holy moments. God's first. Then home life. Here we go. The next one is holy pursuits. Holy pursuits. This is going to church. And thank God you're here this morning. Amen. Okay, holy pursuits, going to church, it's serving in the church, giving your life away, serving the living God, serving the church, amen? Bible studies, praying together, connecting with other believers, holy pursuits, holy moments, home life, holy pursuits. Now, 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 now I want you to notice that the first three that I mentioned to you are relational. Why? Because relationships are the priority. Got it? Say holy moments. Say home life. Say holy pursuits. Here we go. Hall time. Say that. Say it. Hall time. Okay? That's work because you got to work, right? Got to make a living, right? This also involves working around the house. Upkeep. I'm lagging on that one. I'm lagging on that one. Okay? Exodus 29 says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Okay? So we got to work. Notice it's holy moments, God, home, life, family, holy pursuits, spiritual things. Whole time, work, making a living. Here we go. Next one is this, half time. Say that. That's rest. Time to read, time to chillax, time to refuel, time to refresh, time to be renewed, time to refocus. It's, it's what we call filling time. Okay? Filling time. Okay? You, you, need, you need time to be filled. You can't pour into anyone else's life if you're not being filled yourself. Right? In Mark 6.31, Jesus says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Listen, when we take time to get away, take time to rest, we will draw, listen, rich resources, rich resources of mind and the spirit, friends, that give purpose in direction. And I, I, I try my best, and my wife knows, to just get away. And I tell, I'm not doing nothing today. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to relax and I'm going to read and I'm, I'm just going to go and have lunch and do something. She knows that. I'm just, I'm just going to do that. And, and it's those times where I get away and relax and renew that, that, that I have, the, that I get ideas for sermon series where I'll write a song. It's, it's refreshing. 
There you, 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 are, you are seeking God and, and you're having time to refocus and, and get refreshed. And, and there you draw rich resources of mind and spirit to give you purpose and direction. Some of you just need to slow down and chill out for a while. Okay? It's good for you. Holy moments, home life, holy pursuits, hall time, half time. Hey, here we go. Last one is hobbies. Say hobbies. How about sports, shopping, gardening, working out, running, hiking, eating. Some of you, it's a hobby. You're eating, okay. <laughs> Music, working on cars, riding bikes. What is it? I work out. I love to run. I run about three and a half miles four days a week. That's what I do. That's my hobby. And I love to eat. I love to eat. So, you know, what's your hobby? What, you know, what's your thing? I don't know. But find time to do something recreational. Amen? So, speaking of time, when it comes to church, when it comes to work, when it comes to appointments and meetings, be on time. Be on time. It's better to be an hour early than a minute late. And I, my, my, my daddy who's in heaven now, my mom, amazing examples. They taught me you need to be on time. Be on time. If you're running late, call them or text them and then run faster. Yeah? Okay? Be on time. Okay? Be on time. So 86,400 seconds, 1,440 minutes, 24 hours each day, 168 hours a week, no more, no less. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the most precious commodity that God has given to you? He has given you time every single day of your life. And he expects you to use that time wisely, accurately, seizing the opportunities. And today, you may have some opportunities before you. Don't let them pass you by. Seize the moment. Use your time wisely, accurately. Glorify God in what you do. He's given you that gift because one day, he's going to hold you and I accountable to how we used our time. Amen. Let's praise him. Let's all stand.